Genesis 13, 14. 13, 14 to 18. Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count... Uh, can, can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also can be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. After they separate, according to verse 14, God reassures Abraham that this, though this division has occurred, among Abraham and his relatives and herdsmen and possessions, though, that though this has happened, that God is still going to fulfill his promises to Abraham. Though he has been wrested from his nephew, his beloved nephew, who has been with him for many years, though this separation has occurred, and though this hardship has occurred, God is reassuring Abraham. Here again we have this mixed blessing here. That is, in the one sense, there's hardship, but in another sense, God reassures Abraham of his presence with Abraham and God's purposes in Abraham's life. This is the way of the Christian life. There will be blessings, but there will also be afflictions and hardships that come our way. We have to deal with them. And how do we deal with them? We have to know the Word of God, trust the Word of God, put our hope in the Word of God. And that's the word of God that God gives to him right here. In 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. God tells Abraham, look and see. What you see is what I will give to you. You can tell, you can tell that I'm not just inventing things and I'm not being fictitious and I'm not being false. I'm not falsifying anything. You can tell with your own eyes, your own ears, your own nose, your own hands, your own feet. They can testify to my faithfulness to you. They can testify to you that I am at work in your life. That's what he's doing here. Abraham's own eyes will be his own eyewitnesses to the promises of God. Then, in 15, For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. Everything he sees, he and his descendants will possess this land forever. 16, And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. His descendants will be so numerous, it would be like counting the dust. And elsewhere in Scripture, it says like the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore. So the dust of the earth right here. That's how numerous, innumerable, will be his descendants. And he exhorts him again, 17, Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Who is the giver? In 15 and 17, God says twice there, I will give it to you. 
This is by the grace of God. The word of promise, the grace of God, right here. It's not because Abraham is a good man naturally, but because God's grace has transformed him, and now God's grace is going to reward him. God's grace saved him, God's grace will sanctify him, and God's grace will ultimately glorify Abraham, and he will have the blessings of God forever, all as a gift of God. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James 1.17. This is coming as a gift of God. This is the grace of God, 100% grace of yeah. God. It's not partially God's grace and partially man's will. It's 100% God's grace, a one way from heaven down to earth. Right. It's not earth reaching up to heaven, but it's heaven reaching down to earth and saving a dead and sinful man and pouring out God's grace on him. Yeah. Then Abraham does so in, in 18... Then Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. He, built, uh, he goes to this area in Hebron, and Hebron is also in the south, and that's where he spent most of his time, Hebron, Beersheba, in the southern area of the land of Canaan. And what does he do there? He builds an altar to the Lord. He went to a new place. He stays there for a while. We don't know how long. But while he's there, he builds an altar. He wants to worship God. Yeah. He doesn't deny God because God has taken Lot away from him. He doesn't doubt God. He goes and worships God. He goes where he needs to go, and wherever he goes, he worships God. He does not have a, 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 car, a compartmental view of God and worship. Wherever he goes... He doesn't say, I'm, okay, now that I've gone to this other area, to Hebron, and by the oaks of Mamre, this, this man uh, who becomes an ally to him, because I, I, I go there, I'm going to attach myself to those citizens of that area, and I'm going to be just like them. We said this just the, the previous hour. No, he goes there to worship God. Wherever he goes, he's going to worship God. He will not allow anyone to cause him to bow down before an idol. That will not happen. So he worships God and builds an altar. Okay, now, in this passage, we have to um, take this passage in a few ways. Uh, a few important aspects to this paragraph. One, when God makes these promises to Abraham, we know he's talking about the geographical area, the territory the land of Canaan, correct? Sure. He is referring to the land of Canaan right there. So one way that we have to understand God's meaning here is that Abraham's physical descendants will possess that land. Abraham's physical descendants will possess that land. And they will become innumerable. They will become innumerable. Firstly, that they will possess it is outlined for us, detailed for us, actually, in Numbers 34 and Joshua 12 to 21. All the cities, all the territories, all the boundaries of the land, they're all explained in Numbers 34 and Joshua 12 to 21. It's all right there. So there's no ambiguity. 
It's that territory. That's what they will possess. Um, when did this happen? This happened in the time of Joshua. That's when they began to possess it physically in the time of Joshua. That's why it's in Joshua chapters 12 to 21. It was for Joshua to have this privilege of leading the people to conquer the land of Canaan. So it's a physical land. Now it's also saying in this passage that his descendants would be as the dust of the earth. Like the dust of the earth. So Exodus chapter 1 Verse 7, this generation of Moses, they became like that. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7 says, But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. The land was filled with them. They were so populous. The land was filled with them and they became a threat to the Egyptians. And that's why the Egyptians enslaved them. And then they exploited them and wanted to keep them as slaves so that they would not lose their livelihood there in the land of Egypt. And the number of them, in terms of the men of war, look at chapter 12, Exodus 12, 37. Exodus 12, 37 says, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, aside from children. Exodus 12, 37, 600,000 men on foot aside from children. Further, Numbers, Numbers chapter 1. Numbers chapter 1, verse 46. Numbers chapter 1, verse 46. All the numbered men were 603,550. 603,550, all the numbered men. And there, in that chapter, he's, when he says numbered men, he's talking about warriors, 20 years old and upwards. All males, 20 years old and upwards. The warriors were 603,550. And also, before they conquered Canaan under Joshua, remember this number of 600,550, they were all destroyed. They all died in the wilderness because of the sin of the people, the, re- the rebellion of the people. But God restored them. He restored them so that in Numbers 26, Numbers 26, 51, this is the number of men Joshua had. Numbers 26, 51. These are those who were numbered of the sons of Israel, 601,730. About 600,000 again. Joshua had. That means that they had millions of people. In the time of Moses and in the time of Joshua, millions of people to enter and conquer the land of Canaan. The people as a total population. The men of war, the other men, all the women, and all the children, and the Levites. You have to add all these so they had millions to enter in the land of Canaan. That is one way in which this verse, or our passage in Genesis 13, that that was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in the physical and literal way. And yet, we know that to be temporary, right? Sure. It was temporary because 
In 722 BC, the Assyrians came and destroyed the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. In 586 BC, the Babylonians came and destroyed the tribe of Judah and destroyed the temple, the city, and, and the city walls, everything. It, they were wiped out. And they did not have a kingdom after that. Correct? So they have not prospered there with the king and with the temple and all of that. They did not prosper since then. So they had the physical blessing, but they did not retain that physical blessing. Did we not read in 15? I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. But it didn't happen forever. And it didn't happen to Abraham. Abraham died. How does he possess it forever if he died? Spiritually. Yes, spiritually. So that brings us to our next point. Leviticus chapter 25, Leviticus 25, 23. While Moses is alive, right? He's alive, he's preaching. He, he writes these books of Genesis to Deuteronomy. They have not conquered the land of Canaan. And in fact, we were already told that they're not going to go into the land of Canaan under Moses, but later they will under Joshua. Moses gives them some commandments on how to conduct life in Canaan before they actually reach Canaan. Leviticus 25, 23. The land, moreover, shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are but aliens and sojourners with me. He tells them not to sell the land permanently because he explains the year of Jubilee and, and those requirements. But why is it that they're supposed to obey God and not sell it permanently? Because the land belongs to God. He's the owner of the land and he calls them who live in the land, aliens and sojourners. But after Joshua conquers it, and the first generation is born, in a literal physical sense, their citizenship would have been Canaanite, right? right. So they wouldn't be considered aliens and sojourners. They should be called citizens. So in what sense are they aliens and sojourners in Canaan? And also notice it says, with me, which means God is the possessor of Canaan and all the earth, and they will be aliens and sojourners perpetually there, perpetually, not just in the one generation of Joshua, aliens and sojourners, but perpetually they will be considered aliens and sojourners there, but also aliens and sojourners there with God. God is there temporarily in that way, with his people as aliens and sojourners. <coughs> what does he mean? Now, that was uh, Moses instructing the people, but we see that this is already evident in the patriarchs. Look at Genesis 47. Genesis 47, verse 9. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the others, they considered themselves aliens and sojourners on the earth. We have evidence of this in Genesis 47. Jacob, uh, he meets up uh, with his family, Joseph and all, in Egypt. And he now presents himself to Pharaoh. Genesis 47, verse 9. When Jacob is before Pharaoh, he says, 
So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. <coughs> Jacob tells Pharaoh that he has been sojourning, and even his fathers were sojourning. But listen, the only one, if we're talking just in physical terms, who was a sojourner, or a foreigner, or an alien, was Abraham, because he wasn't born in Canaan. But Isaac was born in Canaan, so he wasn't a sojourner or alien in that sense. And Jacob was also born in Canaan. He wasn't a sojourner or alien in that sense. He was a native of the land of Canaan. Yet Jacob calls all of them, including himself, a sojourner. A sojourner. And it continues. First Chronicles chapter 29. Even many years later, a thousand years later, David, a thousand years later in the land of Canaan, he's the king. And notice what David says. First Chronicles 29:15. This is his prayer of gratitude to God. First Chronicles 29:15. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. He says, David, who lived a thousand years after Abraham, David, who was born in the land of Canaan, David, who was the king of Israel, and if anybody was a citizen of Israel, David was a citizen in the physical sense, right? Sure. But he says that he's a sojourner and a tenant. He's a tenant and a sojourner on the earth and the days are like a shadow. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Right. And there's no hope. No hope where? No hope in this wor- world, in the earth. There's no hope in this world and the earth. David's declaring his faith in the life to come. His hope is not in this world. Even Jacob's hope was not in this world because he said, few and unpleasant or few and evil have been the days of my sojourning. And I even haven't lived as long as Abraham and Isaac. He, he, at that point, he lived 130 years. Abraham lived to be 175 and Isaac 180 years old. He's saying, I haven't lived that long. And even then, few and unpleasant have been my days here. David's saying the same. The world is not his hope. The world to come is his hope. This is confirmed in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 tells us the same. Let's begin reading Hebrews 11 at verse 8. Hebrews 11, 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man and him, as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven, 
in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in the faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. He's alluding to Genesis 47.9 and other places like 23.4. Abraham calls himself a sojourner and a stranger in the land of Canaan. He's referring to passages like that. They themselves said openly that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Remember, Abraham could have returned to Haran in Genesis 24, and he basically said to his servant, you better not, you better not take my son out of here and back to the land of Haran. Don't take him out of here. Um, God will send his angel before you, he said. So he could have returned. Everybody could have returned to Haran or even from Haran back to Ur if they wanted things better. That's what he means here. If they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But when they make these statements, what is their hope? 16. But as it is, they desire a better country That is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They were looking to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. That's where they were looking. And they wanted to live forever with God. So, there was a spiritual sense in which the land of Canaan was a type and a token, a shadow and an illustration of what their hope was in eternal life. Their hope was eternal life, and Canaan was a platform to manifest that, or a platform or a token to demonstrate that. That's what the land of Canaan was to them. It was supposed to be to them, those who had faith. That's what it was. Furthermore, when God tells him that he's going to have numerous descendants, innumerable as the dust of the earth, he means it in a spiritual sense. Sure. He means it in a spiritual sense. Genesis 12, verse 3. Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How is it that all the families of the earth will be blessed in Abraham. In how? Because physically, physically they were not blessed. They did not have all of the blessings that the people of Israel did, the 12 tribes did, in the land of Canaan. Not, everyone didn't go to live in the land of Canaan, right? Nobody, you know, there wasn't mass migration into the land of Canaan from all the other nations of the world. That's not the case. That's not the sense in which he meant it, right? right. That never happened. So he did not mean... All the families shall be blessed in that way. He must have meant in a spiritual way. And if he meant it in a spiritual way, look at Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22. 22, 18. 22, 18. God again to Abraham. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth 
shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What did he mean? What did he mean? He meant it in, in the spiritual sense. We have proof of that in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Firstly, Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham believed it was reckoned as righteous, righteousness. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So it's not by blood. It's not by genealogy. It's by faith, he says. By faith, you become a son of Abraham. And the scripture even predicted this. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. The Gentiles, the nations, all those other people, not the Jews, but all the other ones, will be blessed in Abraham. This, this is a, a reference back to Genesis 12, verse 3. Paul interprets Genesis 12, 3 spiritually. Spiritually. And the conclusion, verse 6, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. It requires faith to be blessed with Abraham the believer. Now, how is it that we can become spiritual children of Abraham? The physical, that, that's the obvious way, through natural means, right? The physical generation happens that way. But how can we become a spiritual son of Abraham? Does that happen automatically? No. No. It happens through whom or by whom? Galatians 3, 16. Galatians 3, 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. The seed is singular according to Paul, which he's likely quoting Genesis twenty two eighteen. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In twenty two eighteen of Genesis, when he quotes that, he's saying that God meant it in a singular sense. The one seed of Abraham is Christ, and this is the means of spiritual blessing for the nations. For Jew and Gentile. Everyone is blessed by faith in Christ. That's the way. The spiritual way. This, I think, is what he meant here in Genesis 13. Now, in the spiritual sense. There's the spiritual Son of God, Son of God Savior, that's Christ. And we, if we're united to Christ, then we are spiritually sons of Abraham. And blessed like Abraham. And one more, one more point to make. You see in Genesis 13, 15, 
13.15, it says, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Right. Forever. If Abraham and his physical descendants did not possess it forever, is there a sense in which the Bible says the land of Canaan will be the possession of Abraham forever? Yes. It does say that it will be a possession forever. Notice chapter 17. Genesis 17. 17. 7. 17, 7 and 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Canaan will be the habitation of Abraham and his descendants by means of an everlasting covenant. Everlasting covenant. Covenant of peace. New covenant. That's what he's talking about here. And it's an everlasting possession. And we will be in the true sense having God as our God. To be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will be their God. And how will that happen? How will that happen? We know that the scriptures teach that there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Correct? A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, also speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, a new heaven and a new earth, it says the following. Revelation 21, verse 1. 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see some terminology and phraseology like we saw in Genesis? Sure. Uh, God himself shall be among them. They shall be my people, verse 3. And then in verse uh, verse 7, he who overcomes shall inherit these things, inheritance of the land of Canaan, inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. 
right? Right. And also, verse 8, others will not inherit this. Others will not. Which shows us that the spiritual component is the most important component of all this. In Christ, the spiritual component. Because Abraham had another son named Ishmael who did not inherit these, these things. He did not inherit Canaan, or his descendants did not inherit Canaan either, and he will not inherit the eternal inheritance either. Right. Not him, even though he was physically of Abraham. Right? And think about the tribes of Israel. The ten tribes were all wicked, and they had tw- 20 evil kings. Yeah. And they lasted a short period from about 930 B.C., to 722 BC, just over 200 years. That's how long they lasted. Then they were wiped out because they were all wicked. And when I say they all, I'm speaking generally because that's the way the Bible says it of them. 20 evil kings and the people were wicked consistently and they were destroyed and exiled. So it's not the physical descendants that is the most important, but it is the means... For the spiritual descendants of Abraham to come into existence by Christ. And if we're in Christ, we will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. (coughs)